we've been thinking through these words all, uh, with, within the prayer that, that the Lord Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer. Um, if you were here last week, uh, maybe you weren't here, but we finished our time last week um, by, by saying that, you know, our Father in heaven, our God doesn't get distracted with uh, or by our scribbled words and our squiggled thoughts. Um, sometimes our prayers come out like that. Just a, It feels like a load of scribbles and squiggles before God. It just pours out of us. Sometimes we're, we struggle to know what to pray. But we finish by saying this, that God's ear hears the heart's voice. St. Augustine said that many, many years ago. Um, God's ear hears the heart's voice. God wants to hear the deepest cries of our hearts as we come to him in prayer. What a gift prayer is. What a gift to be able to talk to God knowing that through Christ he hears us and he listens to us and he answers us in his time. We thought also about this kind of spiritual equation um, that the Lord's Prayer kind of begins with. It's the fatherhood of God and it's the reverence of God. I think we do have this on a slide. It's the fatherhood of God plus a reverence for God which results in, in an, a sense of adoration in our hearts. We want to worship God when we understand the fatherhood of God, that he is a heavenly father, he's a loving heavenly father. And then when we revere his name, when we make holy his name, when we hallow his name, then we cannot help but, but worship him in adoration, hearts that are warmed and, and hearts that desire to worship him in spirit and in truth. But before we think about the call to hallow the name of God, we need to consider briefly where God is. You see, the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray to our Father who art in heaven or our Father who is in heaven. Heaven. Oh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Oh, heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven that love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. In case you're wondering, um, those words come from a female theologian at her peak in the during the 1980s. Maybe Belinda Carlisle's words aren't that far off. The truth, when we consider heaven. I love that song, by the way. I nearly sung it there at the front. <laughs> you were definitely spared that. But what are your thoughts when it comes to heaven? What do you think about whenever you think about heaven? Our Father who is in heaven. What comes to mind even right now when you think about heaven? The Bible does give us indication about what heaven will be like. A place of no more tears or mourning or crying or pain. All of that will be gone forever. But in many ways... We could probably agree with another songwriter from the band, a band called Mercy Me, um, who was spot on, I think, when he penned these words about heaven. He said, I can only imagine. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah or will I be able to speak at all? 
I can only imagine. We can only imagine what it will be like to be there in that place that we call heaven. But when we pray this, our Father who is in heaven, what we're saying is that that we believe that God is in heaven. Yes, we know that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. That means that God can be and is everywhere present in all moments, in all places. God alone has the ability to be there in all places, at all times in the universe. He's all powerful. He can do that. But he is our Father who we're told is also in heaven. See, God has always been. He has always been. I think we would all agree that where God dwells is not a geographical place. You know, he, God certainly doesn't live somewhere up in the clouds with angels playing harps all around him. That kind of image that sometimes people have of heaven. And yet heaven, we're told, is where God dwells. It's where God lives where our heavenly father lives right now. And so wherever God was when he created the universe, God is now. He is right now, as one theologian, one pastor puts it, God is outside the universe in a a dimension that is perfectly suited to his own being and existence. And we can't get our heads around that. But where God is, perfectly suited to who he is, He is all-powerful, he is all-present, but he is in heaven. Whilst God created everything on this planet, God is also distinct from this planet as well. The scriptures repeat over and over again that, that our God is exalted above the heavens. He is high and lifted up. He is exalted above the heavens. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who is in heaven, that's where he is, but he is also exalted above all the earth, above the heavens. Christmas is coming. Who's excited about that? I'm sure some of you are. The time of year when we remember what we in the church call the incarnation, which reminds us that that the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus, who is also uncreated, who is also co-eternal, He existed with the Father and the Spirit from eternity past. Jesus, the Son of God, who's always been with the Father and the Spirit in beautiful communion together from the very beginning, from before time began, Jesus took on flesh. He got in skin, God in skin. God took on skin. It's a mystery so profound, isn't it? So astonishing that God would do this that we can't help but marvel at the wonder of the incarnation. But the Lord Jesus not only took on flesh, Jesus lived a perfect life. And he also died a sinner's death on the cross. And he did this for you. Jamie, he did it for you. Praise God. You've told us about that today. And you're so thankful. Joanne, he did it for you. And you've professed that in front of all of us today. Ricky, he did it for you. He died for you. Graham, he did it for you. Sarah, he died for you. He died for me. The Son of God took on flesh. He came to this world. He gave his life. He died a sinner's death for us. 
But he didn't just die that sinner's death for us. He rose again. He defeated death. He defeated sin. The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus ascended to the Father. He returned to his Father in heaven. Where we read in the Bible that Jesus is seated there at the right hand of the Father. So we pray to our Father who is in heaven. But we also know that the Son of God is seated there at the right hand of the Father. And he intercedes for us. He's there before the Father, speaking, pleading on our behalf. He is our great high priest. So Jesus is also in heaven. And one day he will bring us as the people of God to be with him in this place that we call heaven. You're maybe sitting here and, and you're not a Christian. I just want to challenge you, you know, we believe in a God who has come on a rescue mission for us, who sent his son to bring us not only new life here on earth, wonderful new life, Jamie, you said it, a new start, wonderful new life here on this earth that I'm going to tell you is better than any life, anything anyone else can bring. Jesus has come to give us new life here on earth, but also life eternal in the age to come in a place when all earthly pain will be no more. And so if you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, I want you to think about that. That Jesus has come for you. That he wants to bring you to be with him one day in that place that we call heaven. And so our God, our Father is in heaven. And then Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name name. Holy is your name. You see, the word hallowed simply means holy. It means to set apart, to sanctify, to consecrate, to, to dedicate. And that's what Jesus tells us we're to do with the name of God. We're to, we're to set aside his name. We're to make the name of God holy. We're to dedicate ourselves to his name. We're to lift up his name. There's no name like the name of our God. There's no name greater than the name of our heavenly father. Tyler Staten in a book that I'm reading at the minute says this about this moment in the Lord's prayer. He says, our father is a reminder of God's intimacy. That's really important that he is close to you and to me. Our Father reminds us of God's intimacy, but he says, hallowed is a reminder of his separateness, his majesty, and his incomprehensible greatness. See, within these opening words of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus teaches us that when we come to pray, we draw near to God in the intimate knowledge of him as Father. He is Father. And he fathers us as his children but we also draw near to the one whose name is great, whose name is mighty, whose name is hallowed, holy, unlike any other name. I don't quote it often, so enjoy this moment. The Westminster Larger Catechism in its section on these opening words of the Lord's Prayer, listen to this, tells us that Jesus is teaching us to draw near to God with confidence of his fatherly goodness, with reverence, 
and with all other childlike dispositions, heavenly affections, and due apprehensions of his sovereign power, his majesty, and his gracious condescension. You see, when we draw near to God in prayer, we can draw near with confidence. I want you to be a confident Christian. I want you to draw near to God in prayer with confidence. Jesus has made the way. You can come boldly before God. You can come with confidence before him. We have a great high priest whose name is Jesus and we can come with confidence, but we come with reverence. We come with reverence because holy is his name. He is holy, holy, holy. But we also come with a childlike disposition. In other words, we come with a childlike heart and faith. Jesus often taught us to come to the Father with a childlike heart. Come like a little child. Come before God with a heart like a child that just simply trusts in who God is and what he's like. Let's not overcomplicate it when we come before God. He wants us to come before him as a child comes before his father. But we come with heavenly affections. We come with heavenly affections because our hearts are drawn to the higher things of God. When we come before God in prayer, our hearts are lifted up. Our hearts are drawn higher. Our hearts are warmed with an affection that comes from heaven. So we come with a heavenly affection. We also come with due apprehension, not in the sense of having a, a fear that God might strike us down if we mess up. That's not what he does, but we come with this apprehension before God because we understand that he's absolutely powerful and holy. He is unrivaled in his majesty, and yet he has made a loving movement towards us through his son, Jesus. And so we pray, our Father who is in heaven, you are intimate, you are close, but hallowed be your name. You are greater, you are higher, you are beyond anything I could ever ever understand or imagine. So Jesus teaches us that when we pray, we are to hallow the name of our God. We're to beautify, to bless, to treasure his name above every other name. And so this ought to be our one great passion. One pastor who quotes from a journal entry of his writes this. Will you hear this? He says, my one great passion Nothing is more clear and unshakable to me than the purpose of the universe that is for the hallowing of God's name. His kingdom comes for that. His will is done for that. Humans have bread sustained life for that. Sins are forgiven for that. Temptation is escaped for that. And he says, Lord, I grant that I would in all my weakness and limitations remain close to the one clear grand theme of my life that is your magnificence. The theme of our lives, the theme of my life is the magnificence of God. His greatness, his magnificence. Jamie, go back into the world and live for the magnificence of God. Joanne, you do it too. Go back and proclaim, declare the magnificence of God. He's more magnificent than anyone or anything else on the face of this earth. We live for his magnificence. That's our one passion. 
That's our one clear desire, desire to live for the magnificence of God. I believe we're in a season of contending. We're in a fight. We live in an age where, as Christians, we're, we're contending almost at every turn. We're in a battle, we're in a fight. Do you realize that this world that we live in is not a neutral place? It's not a neutral place. As the people of God, we're called to challenge, to, to strive in, to contest our faith in the world that we live in. I hope you agree with me that the world around us is not always, there's much to be thankful for in the world. There's a lot of good in the world, but the world is not always a good and healthy place. Do you agree with me on that? The world is not always a good and healthy place. I believe we're, as a people of God, we're in a season of contending. We're called to contend for the kingdom, to contend for all that we, we sing about and speak about here on a Sunday morning. Tyler stating in the book, again, that I'm reading at the minute, called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. He says this, he says, the world is a contested place. We're almost always a name other than Jesus being worshipped. When you and I open our mouths and begin to pray, he says almost certainly another name is being hallowed in our hearts. The names of accomplishment, success, productivity, approval from another person, comfort, easy execution of our own plans, self-will in all of its destructive varieties. And then he says this, listen to this. He says, when we pray, we step out of the fundamental reality of the world and into the reality of God. And so we must begin by inviting God to reorder our affections. Isn't that really good? When we step out, when we pray, when we come before our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we do that, when we come before God in prayer, we step out of the reality of the world around us and we step into the presence of God, into the reality of who he is, into the reality of what it means to know him. We're gonna share communion in a few moments, but if you're here today and you're not familiar with the Lord's Supper, what we're about to do just simply reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. His body like bread was broken for us. His blood like wine was shed for us. We're gonna eat a small piece of bread and drink a small mouthful of non-alcoholic wine. At least I think it is. To remind ourselves that Jesus died in order that we might truly live. He died that we might truly live. You see, the Lord's table reminds us that we live in a contested world. But the Lord's table invites us as the people of God to once again, together, step into the reality of who God is. Yes, we live in this world and we're never to be apart from it. God calls us to live, to be in the world, to live out the rhythms of grace, the goodness of God and the world around us to show people what it means to know Jesus. But in moments like this, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we step back into the reality of God. We step back into the reality of what Jesus has done for us. We're reminded vividly of what Christ has done for us, that he gave his life 
that his body was broken, that his blood was shed. That's why we do this. We're going to do this in a few moments. But as we approach the table, let, let me lead all of our hearts back into the reality of God. Okay, so bring your heart with me. Let's bring our hearts back into the reality of God. As we approach the table, we lay all other names down at the feet of Jesus. As we approach the table, we step out of the fundamental reality of the world around us and back into the reality of God. As we approach the table, we invite our Father, whose name is holy, to reorder our affections all over again. As we approach the table, we're reminded that the life we live is only possible because of the broken body and the shed blood of another, but not just any other. This table reminds us that there is only one worthy. There is only one spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world, who gave his life for you and for me. And so as we approach the table, we're reminded, I want you to be reminded of the depths of our sinfulness, of the heights of God's holiness, the reality that he is a God of judgment. But then again, I want you to be reminded, I want you to be drawn in again to the greatness and the beauty of God's mercy in and through Jesus Christ, his son. Let's step in to the reality of all that God has done for us. Let me invite our worship team forward. They're gonna play for us. Some of your elders are gonna distribute the wine now at this point in our service. And you know what? It is their joy to serve you today. I know it is. It's their joy to serve you. When you receive the little cup of wine, just hold on to it for a few moments. If you want, place it into the holder in the pew in front of you. Just hold on to the wine. You've, you've already got your little bit of bread. Just hold on to the bread and the wine. Um, and we're going to share it together in a few moments' time. Let me just remind you that communion tokens can be dropped into the offering plates as you leave um, later on in our service. If you're here and you're not a Christian, listen, you know what? We're, we're so glad you're here. Like Jamie said, we're so thankful you're here with us. We don't take that lightly. That you would be here. We believe God has you here. So we're glad you're here. You know what? As the bread and wine come your way, just let it pass by in this moment. But as it does, I want you to ask yourself why you haven't put your trust in Jesus. Don't let Jesus pass you by anymore. He's here today. So just let the worship team play some music as the elders distribute the wine. And let's just reflect on the wonder and the beauty of God who is in our midst. Lord God, we thank you that you're the everlasting Father. Lord Jesus, you're the Prince of Peace. Every government is upon your shoulders. You're the one who holds it all. We approach the throne of glory. Nothing in our hands we bring but the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious king.
I will give to you my burden as you give to me your strength. Come and fill me with your spirit as I sing to you this praise. You deserve the greater glory. Overcome, I lift my voice to the king in need of nothing. Empty-handed, I rejoice. You deserve the greater glory. Overcome with joy, we sing. By your love, we are accepted. You're a good and gracious king. Lord God, our heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. You are a good and gracious king. We contemplate that right now in these moments. We consider our own sinfulness. We ponder your utter holiness. But we marvel all over again at your sheer and beautiful mercy. In spite of our unworthiness, Lord God, your grace has extended to us. You've reached out for us. Lord God, you've rescued us. You've redeemed us. And you're the one that we now have the privilege of calling Abba Father. Father God, you've adopted us into your family. You've given us a place forever at the table of the King of Kings. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We can't thank you enough. And so we draw near to God in this moment with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings that we've had our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so it's in this confidence that we come and receive this bread and, and wine. May they serve to remind us and may they enable us to have deep communion with the Lord Jesus and with one another in this moment. We pray all of this in his great name. Amen. The Lord Jesus has provided this table for all who love him and have trusted in him alone for their salvation. If that's you, you don't have to be a member of this church. You just have to be a follower of Jesus. And so you're invited to come. Come with gladness and thanksgiving in your heart to this table. We read that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was so cruelly betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Harmony Church family, the, the body of Christ broken for you, eat now remembering that he died for you.
just picture yourself at that original table as Jesus sat with his disciples. And after they had eaten bread in the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church family, the blood of Christ that was shed for you, drink remembering that Jesus died for you. stand with me let's stand together I just really do sense the the presence of God and the holiness of these moments just treasure this moment we're going to sing in a moment we're going to sing together two songs we're going to lift our voices we're going to sing we're going to worship God we're going to respond to who he is and all that he's done but listen to these words before we do that Ephesians 2, 1 to 6, from the message paraphrase, says this, it wasn't so long ago that you were marred in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. We all did it all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us He took on our sin-dead lives and he made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own without any help from us. Then he picked us up and he sat us down in highest heaven in the company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God wants, now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea, it's all his work. And all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's work from start to finish. Amen.